The wine industry spends millions of dollars to keep contents labeling off of wine. The reason they don't want a contents label on is because they don't really want you to know what's in it. Alcohol is a super dangerous neurotoxin. It's also a super destructive drug. Because a wine is labeled organic does not mean it's additive free. To feel is to understand. A lot of people don't know what it feels like to really drink honest, pure wine because they've never drank it before. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. If you are at all a wine or alcohol drinker, today's episode is for you. I am a huge fan of wine, which you may have guessed from my book, What When Wine? Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I've done a lot of research on wine, and the studies really do indicate that it seems to have a ton of health benefits. But does it really? There might be a whole caveat to the wine help thing, given the way wine is typically produced today. In today's episode, we're going to go all into the science of alcohol and wine and how, yes, you can make it an incredibly healthy part of your lifestyle. What I also really loved about this conversation is we don't just talk about wine, we also get into the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, and particularly meditation and the power of gratitude. And we even contemplate the concept that maybe wine's health benefits aren't entirely from its physical properties, but rather the effect it has on you emotionally and consequently biologically from that. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash dryfarmwines. If after listening to this episode, you are super thirsty for some low sugar, low alcohol, toxin-free, organic, mold-free, paleo-friendly wine, Definitely go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and you will get a bottle for a penny. A few other things before we jump in. This is a Himalaya partnered show. If you download the Himalaya app, you can get early access to my podcast 24 hours in advance. I love the Himalaya app. It makes following all of your favorite podcasts so easy. You can make playlists, leave comments, and so much more. So definitely check it out. You can also subscribe in iTunes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, If you have a moment to write a brief review of the podcast in iTunes, it would mean the absolute world. It helps so much with just building credibility, getting the podcast out there, and I would be just so grateful to you for that. If you'd like to interact with me and other members in the biohacking sphere, definitely join my Facebook group. It's called Paleo OMAD Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. It's a wonderful community, and I would love to see you there. And if you're really into biohacking your health and upgrading your performance, I wanted to tell you about one of my favorite ways to do that. That is with red light and near-infrared therapy. I've dug deep into the science of it, and the studies truly support its health benefits. Basically, red light works on the mitochondrial level to change the way that your cells generate energy. And when your cells are properly generating energy everything just works better. (laughs) That's why red light can seem to magically fix almost anything. 
Studies have shown that red light significantly improves collagen production in the skin, as well as the skin's texture and appearance. In a 2005 study with 600 patients, 90% reported a softening of their skin texture and a reduction in their roughness and fine lines. You can also use red light for targeted fat burning. Yes, I said it, targeted fat burning. That's because red light may actually break apart fat cells and make their membranes more porous so that their fatty acids leak into the bloodstream. A 2002 study of 12 patients found that applying red light therapy for six minutes released almost all of the fat from the targeted fat cells. A 2009 study on 67 patients found that patients lost an average of 3.51 inches in their hips, waist, and thighs from red light therapy, and this was without any changes in diet or exercise. A 2012 double-blind controlled randomized study found that spot treating upper arm fat with red light therapy made a significant and progressive effect in reducing fat. Red light can also be used for muscle composition because we're not just about burning fat around here. (laughs) A 2015 study of 30 healthy males found that adding red light therapy to their knee exercises significantly enhanced their muscle thickness and force. Near-infrared therapy is also great for pain and inflammation. It can downregulate the body's inflammatory response, increase blood flow and circulation, stimulate tissue repair and healing, and even modulate wound healing by influencing mast cells, macrophages, and neutrophils. One study found that near-infrared therapy relieved pain in patients with arthritis by 70%. And it doesn't end there. Red light therapy can support the immune system, mood, your circadian rhythm, and so much more. But here's the catch, because there is always a catch. The specific wavelength is key. When you look at the charts of the therapeutic wavelengths, it's actually not very linear. Only very specific wavelengths create these effects. And many, if not most, of the red light devices on the market honestly are not going to be in that targeted range. That's why I wholeheartedly love, love, love Juve. Juve makes red light and near-infrared therapy devices that use these wavelengths that you need to achieve all of those benefits I discussed and so many more. Two special offers for you. If you go to juve.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the code Melanie Avalon, you will receive a free gift from Juve. And then if you use that link and forward your proof of purchase, I will send you a signed copy of my book, What When Wine. And by the way, if you'd like even more details about alcohol and wine, including how alcohol is actually metabolized by the body, the effects alcohol has on fat metabolism, why wine may have health benefits, a guide to wine tasting, as well as 50 recipes with wine pairings, you definitely want to check out What When Wine. I put my heart and soul into it. And I think you can really learn a lot. Plus, it's got tons on paleo and intermittent fasting and so much more, not just wine. If you'd like a full list of all of the amazing products, biohacks, books, cleaning supplies, foods, all the things I love, I've been generating a very long list (laughs) to all of that. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash stuff I like, and there you will find all of the stuff that I like. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. So I am so excited about our guest today. We have Todd White on the podcast, and for listeners of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, you are probably very, very familiar with Todd White and his company because I talk about it all the time, (laughs) and that is Dry Farm Wines. And Dry Farm Wines is just a fantastic, amazing company, 
And there is a reason for that. And so today we're going to go into all the details about wine and alcohol and why wine may or may not be healthy, depending on which wine you're drinking, and just so much more. So I am so excited about our interview today. Todd, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Super excited to share some dirty, dark secrets about the wine industry. I know, right? <laughs> so I guess start things off. How did you come to form Dry Farm Wine? So what's your background? Why are you so passionate about wine, about the wine industry? What led to where you are today? Well, I've been drinking wine since I was about nine years old. So I had a lifelong kind of love affair with wine, so much so that I moved to the Napa Valley 20 years ago. And it was, I be, I've been biohacking for, before biohacking was even a term. So I guess I began low-carb dieting and experimentation with ketosis as we know it today, or keto, uh, probably about 20 years ago. And experimented with low-carb and was on and off, beginning with the Atkins diet. That's sort of how I got introduced to what we would know as biohacking today. I feel like that's how we all started <laughs> with, or a lot of us with the low carb. Exactly. And it was very effective for me. I was using it for weight loss just to maintain weight. I wasn't really, didn't understand ketosis or any of the science about it, and neither did anybody else really at the time. So I got seriously involved in both more advanced biohacking, but in particular intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet about five and a half years ago. When I did, I think in conjunction with a number of other cofactors, but when I did, I found that I couldn't drink conventional wines anymore. And so I quit drinking for a while in the period I refer to as suffering through sobriety. So I really love wine. We'll talk about what's wrong with wine and what's wrong with alcohols. I don't love alcohol, but I do love wine. And so, which is the reason that today I only drink low alcohol wines. We'll talk more about alcohol and its problems. But, but so I found I couldn't drink traditional wines. I thought it was because alcohol levels had gotten so high. I thought I was having, you know, a reaction to alcohol because alcohol levels in American wines have become very high. And so I started experimenting with what I call microdosing. So I was drinking lower amounts and reducing the amount of both the wine I was drinking as well as the alcohol. Well, skip forward, I'm talking to the smartest person I know in the wine business. And I was like, you know, I want to make a low alcohol wine. And how low can I make the alcohol and still have it taste like wine? And we had a discussion about that. During that discussion, he's like, well, have you drank any of the low-alcohol wines coming out of Europe? And I was like, no, I've never heard of them. So I began investigating these lower-alcohol wines, and from that, I stumbled quite accidentally at the time on the natural wine revolution that was just really getting underway. Today, natural wines are quite well-known, particularly in major markets and particularly among foodies and people who are interested in matters of taste. And so, but at the time, nobody knew what a natural wine was. Um, and so now they're natural wine bars and natural wine restaurants and so on and so forth. Many farm to table restaurants now feature 
um, natural wines, but, and we'll talk about what makes a wine natural in a moment. So anyway, I stumbled upon the natural wine movement. And from there, since I had lived in Napa and I'd actually made wine before I started doing lab testing on these wines, looking for specific quantifications and how those related to the aesthetic of the wine. And when I say the aesthetic of the wine, I mean the taste, the texture, the aromatics. That's the aesthetic of the wine. So I started correlating these quantifications with lab testing. And the other thing is because I was ketogenic, I wanted sugar-free wine. And see, most wines contain sugar. And so that was another thing I knew I could lab test for. So I started comparing the aesthetic along with specific laboratory quantifications. And I came up with this kind of algorithm, if you will, for how we would select wines. I started selecting wines that way and started sharing them with friends. And they're like, oh, wow, you can drink this wine. You feel great. Doesn't make you feel like regular wines make you feel. And you don't get a hangover from it. And and just lowering the alcohol was really fundamentally important as well. And all of a sudden people were like, well, where can I get these wines? I was like, well, you can't. Um, and so I created this business around it. And I, when I started, I had no intention really of creating, quote, a business out of it. I was trying to solve a drinking problem that I had and how to drink better, healthier wines. And we can talk about what that means. So that's kind of how it all started. And that was like in 2015. I feel like that's how the best products come to be when it, it comes out of you know, solving your own personal (laughs) problem or want or desire. I love that so much. So, okay, you brought up so many topics that we can touch on. Let's touch on the alcohol levels first. No, I was just going to say alcohol levels, statistically, and by the way, everything I'm going to share with you on this podcast, any statistic, any uh, industry metrics, FDA additives in wine, all the things we're going to touch on, they're all easily easily found on Google just with a simple search. So statistically, alcohol levels in wine have been rising for the last 30 years. Now, the reason that's happening is there's several reasons for it. First of all, the wine industry loves high alcohol. And here's why. Alcohol is addictive. And alcohol is a domino drug. What I mean by a domino drug is that the more you drink, the more likely you are to drink more. Higher the alcohol, more likely you are to drink more. Wine industry likes to sell wine. Not surprising. In addition to that, alcohol also gives wine a density, a richness, and a boldness. Now, that's not appealing to me. That is appealing to most American and global palates as our palates have become damaged and distorted primarily from processed foods and high amounts of sugar, right? We need bolder, richer, bigger things in order to taste them because our palate, when you get away from sugar and processed foods and you start eating a clean real diet, clean, real food, your palate will adjust to be more sensitive. And you're not interested in big, rich, sweet, bold things. And that's what alcohol brings to wine. And so when you remove the alcohol, you end up with a much lighter, more elegant, more really just fresh, just a cleaner taste. And for people who eat like I do, that's what they want. They don't want big, bold, rich, bigger, better. 
And they also don't want the negative effects of alcohol. So those include hangovers. Those include primarily dehydration. So when you're waking up in the middle of the night, right, that's from generally from dehydration. Then you can't go back to sleep because, you know, the monkey mind starts and, you know, you start thinking about all of these things that <clears throat> that keep you up at night. So when you remove alcohol, you not only end up with a better wine that tastes better, but you also end up with much fewer negative remnants from the alcohol itself. So we know alcohol in moderation, and there are plenty of studies for this, but we know alcohol in moderation is both neurologically beneficial as well as biologically beneficial, particularly for, um, particularly for cardiovascular health. And that's moderate amount of alcohol of any kind. Now, there are health benefits imparted from wine, particularly red wines, which contain over 800 polyphenols, flavonoids, and non-flavonoids, and antioxidants, right? So wine comes with special and increased health benefit, but we know very moderate doses of alcohol have been shown to uh, be healthy. The problem is most of us don't drink moderately, right? So most of us don't have a glass of wine. We have several, right? And so it's really important to lower the inherent underlying amount of alcohol in the wine in the beginning, unless you're one of those people that can drink half a glass or a glass of wine. That's not most people, right? So our wines are anywhere from 6% to as high as 12.5%. Average American wines today are just at 15% on average. The other thing, and we're going to talk about this collusion between the wine industry and the government, particularly the politicians. There's a couple of things going on. We'll talk on additives in a moment. But alcohol stated on a wine bottle, we also test for alcohol. That's another one of the tests that we run because the alcohol stated on a wine bottle is not required to be legal. It's not required to be accurate to be legal. The, the wine industry normally rounds down the amount of alcohol stated on the bottle for two reasons. One, they want you to think you're drinking less. And number two, more importantly, perhaps, they pay tax. They pay federal tax based on the amount of alcohol that's contained in the wine. So the higher the alcohol, the higher the tax. So what is the exact legality around it doesn't have to be accurate? They can What, what can they round to? Well, it can be as much as 1.5% different than what's stated on the bottle. Now, there's a reason for that. The reason was that this law, like most alcohol laws and many laws, is just written a really long time ago. So these alcohol laws, the only oversight that the federal government has on wine is taxation and also its labeling laws. So the TTB, which is Trade and Tax Bureau, which used to be the uh, before Waco, it used to be the ATF. So, you know, they govern the labeling of wines. That's the only thing the federal government does. Everything else associated with alcohol sales are administered at the state level, except for labeling. The reason that the labeling is allowed to be inaccurate is because in the 1940s, when these alcohol laws were written at the federal level, alcohol testing protocols were not accurate from lab to lab, right? And so 
in order to accommodate for this variance that might show up from lab to lab. Now, that's no longer the case today and hasn't been for decades. Alcohol testing is very precise from lab to lab. You'll get exactly the same alcohol percentage in any lab that you test because it's very precise science now. But at the time, it wasn't. And so they were allowed to have this variance. But the problem is that the wine industry doesn't want that updated for the two reasons I've already explained to you. So the wine industry spends tens of millions of dollars in lobby money, see, in Washington, because that's how you get things done in Washington, is you pay for it. So the other problem with wine that relates to this collusion between the wine industry and the government is the additives in wine. So there are 76 additives approved for the use in winemaking. The problem there, and the reason that you don't know about that, unless you've heard me on a podcast or seen me speak somewhere, I have informed a few million people of this issue, but the problem with the problem with these additives and reason you don't know about them, some of them are pretty nasty chemicals, is because the wine industry spends millions of dollars to keep contents labeling off of wine, right? So wine is the only major food product without a contents label on it. And the reason they don't want a contents label on it is because they don't really want you to know what's in it, right? And so this is just, this is the collusion that goes on between, this is the dishonesty that goes on between the wine industry and your elected officials and federal law, right? So the alcohol as well as the additives and the lack of transparent labeling on the bottle. The reason they don't want a label on it, because if it did, it would look just like the rest of processed foods, you know, that have that kind of rectangular to square shaped label that show you all these ingredients and things you've never heard of or even know how to pronounce. If the label were on a wine bottle, that's what it would look like. You know, have all these additives in it. And they don't want you to, they want you to think that it's a health product, but in fact, it's not. Not unless you're drinking natural wines. So natural wine, which is a categoric definition. People are very confused when I say natural wines because like, well, aren't all wines natural? Well, no, in fact, they're not for the reasons I've already described to you. So natural wines, which are found in only in only in major markets, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami. Other than that, natural wines are rarely found. There's a couple of ways you can find them. You can do a Google search for natural wines in your market. You can download an app on your smartphone called Raisin. That is the natural wine app that retailers and restaurants and bars will oftentimes more more so in Europe than in the U.S., but there's some people in the U.S. who are listed on it. So natural wines are a much bigger thing in Europe because there's not very many natural wines made in the United States. We don't even sell domestic wine. We don't. There's no wines in the United States that meet our standards of health and purity. So we, all of our wines come from Primarily across Europe, we have four growers in South Africa and two in Chile. But a natural wine, categorically for us, meets the following criteria. It's dry farmed. So the name of our company is Dry Farm Wine, which means all of our wines are dry farmed. Dry farming means that there's no irrigation. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we can come back to irrigation if you like in a moment. But there's a whole lot of reasons why we don't allow irrigation. Number two they are organically or biodynamically farmed and biodynamic farming, which began in 1925 is a prescriptive form. It is an advanced prescription 
of organic farming. So all biodynamic farming is organic and organic farming means that there's no use of chemicals in the vineyard of any kind. Right. And so it's organically or biodynamically farmed. It is dry farmed. And then there are no additives, nothing in or out of the wine. In our particular case, they're also sugar free. That's not a criteria of natural wines, but it is a criteria of our wines. And our wines are low alcohol. That's also not a criteria of natural wines, but is a dry farm wines criteria for health purposes. And so we're really the healthy wine, right? So it just happens that we're the largest buyer of natural wines in the world as well. But we're not really in the, quote, natural wine business, although all of our wines are natural. We're really in the healthy wine business and helping people think about not only drinking healthier wines that don't contain all these poisons, but also lower alcohol. But alcohol, it surprises many people to hear the wine guys say, alcohol is a super dangerous neurotoxin. It's also a super destructive drug. And so, and it's a drug that needs to be carefully considered. We want to make sure that we carefully consider and we can begin the most important considerations just drinking lower alcohol wines. That's, I mean, that's the best bet, right? Then we don't have to be as concerned about the amount that we drink when we're drinking. Most of the wines I drink are between nine and 10 and a half percent. That doesn't sound a lot lower than 15, 16%, but it's a lot lower and it has a huge impact on how you feel. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits 
the longest-lived populations drink wine, the polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight, it's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines, One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, that was one of my questions because ever since I got really into the health benefits of wine and especially dry farm wines and realizing how important all of these factors are, I started paying attention. I pretty much just just drink dry farm wine. So when I am shopping around for wines, I'm paying attention now to alcohol contents and things like that. So like how different is it a wine that's, you know, I mean, you rarely see it at stores, but a wine that's like 12% versus even 13 or 14, like it doesn't seem like that big of a difference number wise. It's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in both taste, uh, texture, the weight of the wine, and also just how you feel. And also when natural wines are not extracted, extraction is a, extraction is a, it's a winemaking style. Uh, that also substantially increases the biogenetic amines, and this is a particular problem for women. So the two nasty offenders in these biogenetic amines are tyramine and histamine. And so this women are very often sensitive to these amines. And so they get flush, they get stuffy, they get itchy, they have a tightening in the frontal cortex, that's really oftentimes a, a nasal reaction, but can also be a reaction neurologically to them. And so I'm affected by these, I'm affected by commercial wines in this way now. I didn't used to be, or I didn't notice it, but a lot of people don't know what it feels like to really drink honest, pure wine because they've never drank it before. Right? They think that these commercial products are just what wine makes them feel like. And if you drank our wines for a while and then you go and drink a commercial wine, you know what I'm talking about, right? Exactly. I'm known as like the wine girl because my book, What When Wine, I have a whole section on wine and I'm really into this. And people come to me all the time and they're like, I, I can't, I don't tolerate wine. I can't do wine. You know, what else can I drink? And my first answer is always, well, have you tried looking at the type of wine? That you're and the sourcing of the wine that you're drinking, because you might find that having a natural wine 
low in alcohol, without these additives, without these compounds will make a huge difference. And it really does. Even on intermittent fasting podcast, when we originally had you on with my co-host Jen and I, or my co-host Jen and me, Jen was not a drinker yet of dry farm wines. And now down the road, she's been drinking your wine and she's completely sold and that's all she'll drink. And I think so many people find that because you just, you just feel different and you realize that you actually can drink wine. It was just these other things that were a problem. But touching back on what you were talking about with the labels on wines, because that is one of the things that drives me crazy. And I think so many people would find shocking if they could actually see a label on conventional wines today. So what type of things are in conventional wines besides fermented grape juice? Dimethyl bicarbonate is probably the the one of the highest degree of interest. It's it's manufactured under the brand name Valkyrin by um, a lab company. If you Google it, you'll see the Wikipedia page on it, and it's funny. It says hazards. It says hazards in the Wikipedia summary on Google. It um, it says hazards, and then right next to that, it says toxic. Oh, wonderful! So. <laughs> This additive Valkyrie, I'm going to come back to it in one second. I want to cover something about the industry and how this is getting in wine. So what's happened in the wine supply is exactly the same thing that has happened in our food supply. So we've had massive corporate consolidation. So the top three wine companies in the United States manufacture 52% of all the wine consumed. They... You don't know that because these very, very, very clever multi-billion dollar marketing organizations are run by a bunch of really smart people, right? And so they hide behind tens of thousands of labels and brands. Now, the top 30 companies in the U.S. make over 70% of all the wine. And again, they're hiding behind thousands, tens of thousands of brands and labels. So you don't know that this wine is really coming from these massive, massive wine factories that are located in the Central Valley of California. And so even there's some health, quote, some healthy fitness-oriented marketed wines out there that are also made in these factories, right? And so. Again, without truth and transparency and labeling, even fitness wines that are marketed to be healthy are also made in these same factories. But, you know, it's marketing. So just because a wine is, you know, positioned to be healthy doesn't necessarily mean it's true. But most wines made in these massive factories, the the marketing organizations, these multi-billion dollar companies want you to believe that you're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau. That's how they kind of sell the wine through these stories. Or as an example, I live in Napa Valley right behind Robert Mondavi Winery. You know, Mondavi Winery's family, you know, Robert Mondavi was a pioneer in the Napa Valley. And, you know, you 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 think, oh, it's Mondavi. It's just it's wonderful Napa Valley wine. Well, the fact of the matter is that Napa Valley, that, that, that Robert Mondavi Wineries has been owned for more than a decade by the second largest wine company in the world, right? And they just make massive factory wines. This is just, this is just a fact. It's owned by Constellation Brands. They paid $1.2 billion for it about, about a decade ago. So there's, there's just been this massive consolidation and how these additives, which are 
commonly used, including the one that I just mentioned, Valkyrin. Valkyrin is used to treat the most common bacterial fault called Bretomyces that occurs in wine. Bretomyces will ruin the wine and make the wine unsellable. Well, these contractors, these independent contractors, you have to be specially licensed and specially trained by this lab company that sells this toxin, right? And when they apply this chemical, all this is online. When they apply this chemical, they come into the winery in hazmat suits, right, to apply this chemical to the wine. Nobody else can be in the winery at the time of application. And if you drank the wine within 24 hours of application, you would die. Now, the government, the FDA allows up to 200 parts per million to remain in the wine in trace amounts. There are also other things commonly found in wines like glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. Round glyphosate is the number one applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards. So I could go on and kind of on about these types of issues that there are 76 additives. Some of them are harmless. Many are not, right? You can, if you just go to Google and search FDA additives, you'll see the list of them. Most of them you can't even pronounce. You won't even know what they are, right? They're defoaming agents that include five pretty nasty chemicals. Defoaming agents are used when you move wine. So when you move wine from tank to tank, which is a part of the process in winemaking, wine gets moved around in tanks. It foams. It foams quite vigorously, right? And so if you're a natural winemaker, you just wait for the foam to subside and then you move more wine. But in fact, conventional and commercial wines, they spray a defoaming agent on it that makes the wine instantly dissipate, the foam. And then you can add more wine, right? These are just the kind of the things that are going on that nobody knows about. Again, everything I'm telling you is easily verifiable in a Google search is just that the wine industry has been successful at keeping these secrets, right? And, and the, and people believe, well, you know, if it comes from this famous appellation or it has this name on it, or if it costs more, it's going to be better. I don't care if you pay $150 or $15, you're drinking additives. Yeah. And we also know, I mean, especially with things like glyphosate, how damaging it is because of how it's water soluble and it just saturates, you know, the environment and then, you know, our cells and our bodies as well. And I, I mean, I haven't personally researched this, but now I'm just thinking aloud. I'd imagine having all these compounds in the format of wine, being a drink, being water, and then having that alcohol as well, drinking it in that form must make it very potent and saturated by our cells. I'd imagine. Well, I mean, alcohol, there are only two things in wine other than the polyphenols. I mean, that, that, that is an inherent benefit, and there are more polyphenols in the red wine than white because they are increased from their contact with the skin and grapes, which is how red wine gets its color when you make wine. And we'll talk about sugar in wine in a moment because that, the fermentation process kind of to cover that and how wine becomes sugar-free and how sugar gets into wine because that's something is a, a big concern to us. But – when you make wine, the way red wine gets its color and the reason it gets an increase in polyphenols is from the contact with the skins during the fermentation process or the maceration. So 
when you squeeze the juice of a red wine grape and you squeeze the juice from a white wine grape, they're both clear. How red wine gets its color is that the skins after the juice is pressed is added to the tank with the juice and then it macerates for some period of days to weeks. Um, and that maceration period is how red wine gets its color. That's one of the ways it gets its color. The other way is from the use of the most popular color agent called Mega Purple that's manufactured by Gallo. Gallo is the largest wine company in the world um, and based in, uh, based in the Central Valley of California. They began in Sonoma County, but their factories are all in the Central Valley. So Mega Purple, I don't know if you've ever experienced drinking red wine or seen other people get purple lips and purple teeth. That's generally coming from color agents. Natural wines will not stain your teeth or your lips. I am having an epiphany now because I I remember the first time, I mean, because I knew, I knew now about Mega Purple, but I remember the first time I was with a friend out at a bar, like shortly after turning 21 and her, her teeth turned so purple. And I was like, wow, it's really crazy that the wine could do that. It, that must've been, it must've been th- those dyes. Mega purple is commonly, commonly, I can taste it. I can smell it, but most people can't. I just happen to know what it tastes like, but it, it adds a density and also a much darker color to red wine. So, so, Americans believe the darker a red wine is, the better quality it is. There's no truth to that, but that has led to people using color agents to make it darker, right? And so the other way it gets darker is extending the extraction of maceration. So the longer the wine soaks in the skins, the darker it will get. That's also what leads to an increase in these biogenetic amines. So it's, we come... Women all the time, we do a hundred, we're the official wine for 117 health and performance conferences this year. Many of them you would know like Paleo FX or Bulletproof or, or um, JJ Virgin, all of these conferences, we're the official wine for everybody in, in the health, in the health field. And the I, women all the time, Every single comp, every, 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 just out all, all day long, come up and say, or during tastings, they're like, Could I try your white wine? I can't drink red wine. I'm like, No, 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 no. You, you, they'll say, I like red wine, but I can't drink it. I was like, No, 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 no. You can drink this red wine. Trust me. It won't have any of the negative effects that you're used to with red wines. I know, you know, as thousands of people have experienced this, women in particular. And so try the red wine. You know, and then the next day they come back and they're like, oh, wow, I had like three or four glasses of that wine. It was great. I felt great. I had no adverse effects that I normally have from red wines. So, but so wine is only, con- other than the polyphenols, wine only contains ethyl alcohol and water, right? So, whatever the alcohol percentage is, if it's 10% alcohol, it's 90% water. Right. And so and when you mentioned the water solubility of glyphosate, that's really interesting because it's speculated. There are two studies, one done by one done by a group called um, Moms for a Better America. That was about five years ago. And another study that came out this year 
where it winds across. I don't remember who did the study this year. It was recently pushed around on social media, but wines were tested from several appellations across California, and 100% of the wines tested came back positive for glyphosate, both organic and non-organic wines. The reason the organic wines are thought to be testing positive for glyphosate is because it's believed that it's coming in through the irrigation, right? So, uh, we, they don't know this. This hasn't been proven, but it's believed that because more than 99.9% of vineyards in California are irrigated, in the U.S. are irrigated. There's virtually no dry farming in the U.S., which is one of the reasons we don't sell domestic wines. There are several reasons, but that's one. Um, the Because it, the way glyphosate is applied in a vineyard, it's close to the ground. It's not like wheat farming. And wheat farming, oftentimes, you're getting glyphosate contamination in neighboring organic farms because it's applied through the air with an airplane, with a duck, like a, um, a, uh, a dust um, a plane that flies over and sprays the wheat. Right, and but that's not how it's applied in vineyards. It's applied very close to the ground. So the concept of really having overspray into a neighboring organic vineyard is very low. So it's thought to probably be coming through the irrigation because whether a farm is organic or non-organic in, in California, and most are not organic, but there are a handful that are, they're still irrigated. And irrigation, which I said we touch on for just a minute, irrigation is a pretty, it has a whole bunch of problems associated with it, with which includes potentially, we don't know this, but potentially this glyphosate issue. But in addition to that, um, it it dilutes the polyphenols in red wine because it might not surprise you when you fill a grape berry with water. It uh, it dilutes everything, including the character of the fruit. It also increases the sugar level at the time of harvest because irrigated fruit, which is filled with water, I'll tell you why you irrigate in a moment. might not surprise you. It's about money and greed. But irrigated berries, which are filled with water, have to get riper before before harvest in order to to develop proper flavoring. Right, because they're diluted with this water. Now, the reason you irrigate is because fruit is sold by the ton. When you irrigate, you get higher yields and you get bigger berries with more water in them. And guess what? It weighs more. Right. And so, most grape farming is not done on the estate. Like, it's not like ABC Winery grows their own grapes and then they make this special wine. That's not how most wine gets made. Most wine is industrially farmed by farmers who then sell it to the wine companies, right? So the way it, the more it weighs, the more it's worth. In Europe, it's illegal. It's a crime in most places across Europe to irrigate a grapevine because Europeans know, who've been making wine for over 3,000 years, know what we know that the moment you intervene into logic into nature's logic with irrigation you fundamentally change the quality of the fruit and the quality of the fruit fundamentally changes the quality of the wine
Does that all make sense? That does. So, so that's where the dry comes from in dry farm wines. And I'm actually, I'm really glad you brought up, because I'd seen those findings as well about the pervasive nature of glyphosate and the, the levels in wines, even organic wines throughout California. So it sounds like, because I know like if you go to the store, you'll often see wines labeled as organic or made with organic grapes, which I know that even that's different, like the made with organic grapes versus the organic. So I guess it's not technically automatically, quote, safe <laughs> to get just a, your everyday, quote, organic wine at the wine store. Because a wine is labeled organic does not mean it's additive free. It means that it was farmed in a certified organic farm, but it was probably irrigated. It doesn't mean it doesn't contain glyphosate according to these studies, which again, these are independent studies we have nothing to do with. Um, So it's now there are a handful and I mean like less than five, right? Farms in California. I'm only aware of three, but that are both dry farmed and organic, right? So, uh, but they're quite rare. They also don't make wines that meet our criteria, but there are, you know, there are a handful of farms that are both organic and dry farmed in the U.S. But again, less than 1% of U.S. vineyards are, are, are non-irrigated or dry farmed. And um, again, none, none of the domestic producers, including the natural wine producers, and there are probably about 25 in the U.S., right? Um, there are only about 1,500 worldwide natural winemakers. So there's 155,000 wineries in the world, right? less than 1,500 of them are natural farmers, right? Natural winemakers, natural wine growers. Natural wines are not made, they're grown, right? Nothing happens to the wine other than natural, wild, native yeast fermentation in the cellar. That's all that happens there. And so, and I mentioned that because this is another interesting fact that we don't really know the health consequences of it. But conventional wines are fermented, and I'll cover the sugar issue here. Uh, Conventional wines are fermented with commercially grown, genetically modified lab yeast. Now, that's really important because natural wines are fermented with wild native yeast that are present on the skin of every grape, wine grape in the world. So when you harvest a wine grape, on the surface of the skin, it's collected through the air. It's part of nature. There is wild indigenous yeast that's on the skin of every wine grape in the world. And if you picked a ripe, if you picked a ripe cluster of wine grapes and you just threw it into a to a bucket, the skins would break open and the juice from the sh- from the grapes would would emerge and there's sugar in that grape juice and the yeast will come in contact with the sugar and if the temperature is high enough then because yeast needs needs to 
reach a certain temperature to activate, just like when your grandmother put bread above the oven, right, or in the oven or above the refrigerator, because it needs to be in a warm environment in order to prosper. But if, if it's warm enough, the yeast will activate and it'll start fermenting in the bucket and you're making wine without doing absolutely anything. Now, I don't promise you the quality of the wine, but you're, you have fermentation that will naturally occur. That's how natural wines are made. So the natural winemaker presses the juice from the skin and then the juice comes in contact with the yeast and, and begins to ferment. If the wine... Because fermentation occurs when you, how you make wine is you inoculate the wine with yeast, you activate the yeast, the yeast eats the sugar in the wine. The byproduct to that is carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol. And so this is how wine becomes sugar free. If the yeast is allowed to fully ferment and eat all of the available sugar, then the yeast will die from a lack of food source. And the wine will be fully fermented and sugar-free. But what's happening in conventional wines is that the winemaker is introducing sulfur dioxide. First of all, they inoculate the yeast. They ino- they, the very first thing they do is squeeze the juice. They introduce sulfur dioxide to kill the native yeast because they don't want to use the native yeast. It's too difficult to work with. It's too temperamental, and it will not withstand a high alcohol environment. It will die. And then you have a broken fermentation and a whole set of different problems. So the commercial winemaker introduces sulfur dioxide to the juice to kill the native yeast, and then they inoculate it with this genetically modified lab-grown yeast. Again, we don't know what this means to our health, but it's just another aspect that's unnatural. And so they introduce this genetically modified yeast. For three reasons do they use this lab-grown yeast as opposed to the native yeast. First of all, native yeast is temperamental, difficult to work with, and you can't make wine in very large quantities with it. Number two is that the native yeast will not withstand a very high alcohol environment. In fact, part of the advertising of these genetically modified lab-cultured yeast, part of their advertising is that they'll withstand a high alcohol environment, right? That's just like one of the features of the yeast. And the third reason, which is kind of interesting, is that these modified yeasts can be created to have certain flavor profiles. And what I mean by that is, let's just say that you grow a rather uninteresting, poor quality grape in Central California somewhere on a big industrial farm, right? You want that wine to taste like it's Italian. They have a yeast for that, right? So the yeast has certain flavor profiles. So this is just kind of what's going on in the wine industry. Again, just nobody knows anything about it. That's really funny. I did. I mean, I was pretty familiar with the with the the nature of yeast and winemaking, but I didn't know that they would actually add the yeast to create those flavor profiles to mimic <laughs> other wines. That's fascinating. Yeah, they're having for all kinds of like, you know, you want a Mediterranean profile, you want, they, they have all kinds of profiles of yeast to to replicate flavor profiles from different places for different reasons. So switching gears just a little bit. So you personally, you still practice a ketogenic diet, correct? And intermittent fasting? I do. So I've been probably for three years now, um, almost three years I have um, only been eating once per day, so I do a 22-hour uh, daily fast. 
and um, I'm not, I'm not as, gosh, I don't think I'm as keto compliant as I once was. I, I kind of the primary reasons because I happen to enjoy potatoes. Potatoes are the only thing I eat off program, but I do eat potatoes from a couple times a week. The thing is, because I only eat once per day, though, I end up back in ketosis no matter what I eat. Well, I don't eat anything crazy, but but let's just say I have some French fries or something, which I just happen to like. Uh, I used to not eat potatoes at all when I was strictly keto and really, really just like fanatical about it. But but because I only eat once a day and I don't eat too far off program in the first place, even if I do eat off program, let's say that I eat you know, a good bit of potatoes. I can eat a little bit of potatoes and it won't take me out of ketosis, but if I eat enough of them, it will. And let's just say that I do, I'll be back in, I'll be back in nutritional ketosis, which I consider to be uh, 0.1 millimolar by, you know, two o'clock the next afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. Now that's not nutritional ketosis, it's from starvation, right? But, but the, the, but the effect is the same. So, I, you know, largely I'm in ketosis. I'm not quite as fanatical about it as I once was. I experiment with different things, uh, but off-program potatoes are the only thing I really eat, you know, other than occasionally uh, I travel in Europe a lot. I'm in, I'm in Italy a couple of times a year. Um, occasionally there I'm eating with people in their homes, oftentimes eat with families, family farmers in their homes and where pasta is commonly served. And so I do eat pasta a few times a year because, which is the, my only real intake of, of flour. I do eat pasta a few times a year simply because the Italians, sometimes there's oftentimes a, lo- a language barrier. They just wouldn't understand that I don't eat pasta or flour. That just seemed very bizarre to them. And they certainly wouldn't understand what a ketogenic diet is. So, you know, to accommodate to make a social accommodation, I, you know, when I'm traveling, I sometimes sometimes eat a little bit of bread or pasta for that reason. But other than that, yeah, I'm pretty keto. Yeah, I, I may feel like a lot of people have that experience where, you know, they go through periods of more intense ketogenic diet adherence, and then they oftentimes gravitate to more either with intermittent fasting, creating a sort of metabolic flexibility where they're having carbs, but still getting into the fastest state during the day or doing more of a cyclical ketosis or having, you know, carbs a few times a week. So I think it's all just about finding what works for you. So what have you found though, in general, with your experience with ketosis and ketogenic diets and wine and alcohol, how wine and alcohol affects ketosis and would it matter if it's, you know, normal wine, normal, I say normal, but, you know, conventional wine versus like dry farm wines, for example? Well, I, you know, here's the thing. I I'm seem to be, and this is in part because I only eat once per day. I think I seem to be more sensitive to alcohol, also seem to be more sensitive to alcohol as I'm aging. And so, and just because I'm keto or largely keto, I don't, you know, this whole keto thing, there's a tremendous amount of noise going on right now inside the, the forward-leaning health movement, you know, around uh, carb reloading and metabolic flexibility and uh, fasting and ketosis. And there's just a tremendous amount of noise and debate inside the movement. 
I don't know. I can just tell you my personal experience. My personal experience is that I feel better and I have better cognitive response and I just feel I look better. I think I have a little less inflammation. If I'm strictly keto, it seems to work slightly better for me, uh, meaning that I'm, I'm compliant to a ketogenic diet, a little higher fat, very low carb, moderate protein. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I get bored with it. Uh, although it's a luxurious diet, sometimes I get, I get a little bit bored with it. I do eat less fat today than I used to. So, you know, I don't drink, you know, a fatted coffee that I don't, I find when my fat intake, particularly of saturated fat, not so much olive oil. This is just personally, this is anecdotal. This is just, this is just how I feel. I find that when my saturated fat levels get too high, I just don't feel as good. And I, it, there's a, it, it, it has to do with my, um, lower GI. I just don't feel the same. I don't feel as good. So I've kind of cut back a little bit on high intakes of fat other than olive oil. I do eat a lot of olive oil, but I have cut back a little bit. I'm thinking cut back from where I was when I was fanatically ketogenic, like, like the first few years when I was just like, thought it was just like the best thing since, you know, they, since they paved the streets, you know, I was just like super into it and super experimentation around it. So I find I've just become a little bit more moderate. I don't eat as much fat and personally I feel better, but you know, everybody's different. the, The thing is that when I like to, I like when I think about biohacking and the, and diet, when I think about that, I like to, I like to reference the proverb to feel is to understand. And so for me, I have a very clean diet and I have a very disciplined regiment, only eating once per day. And so I, I'm very in touch with my body. I'm very in touch with what food does to my body. I'm very in touch with what alcohol does to my body. I'm very in touch with any kind of exogenous compound that enters my body. I'm very in touch with it. So for me, I can feel these things, right? And so if I'm doing something that, starts to not feel good, then I change that protocol. And I think when you get in touch, you know, when you get clean, then that, you know, everybody's different. Like some women don't do well in ketogenic diets. Some women don't do well with intermittent fasting, right? It's, it's a hormonal issue for them. So everybody's just different. And I think you have to like experiment to find out what optimizes your experience. Yeah. I'm actually, similar to you in that when I first did keto, I did it hardcore. I did it really high fat. I was like all the fat all the time. And now I naturally have, I go more leaner actually. And I I prefer doing like you, the, the intermittent fasting, getting my ketosis that way through the fast and then being a little bit more lenient in my eating window and eating, you know, what, what I feel like speaks to me, which does tend to be lower fat, at least compared to what I used to do. Yeah, that's what I'm referring, you know, like what I used to do, which is like crazy. You know, it was like fat, 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 fat. It was a butter on everything, coconut oil, you know, fatted coffee, like, you know, with coconut oil and MCT. And I'm just like, and butter and like, just like I quit drinking fatted coffee a couple of years ago. I just was not making me feel good. And, you know, I was just like, and then I started cutting back on fat, but I used to like pour fat on everything. You know what I'm talking about? That's 
yeah, I've come off of that. Like, sounds like you have too. Yeah, me too. And like when I first started, it was just stereotypical low carb Atkins. So it was like very dairy fat, which now does not do well for me at all. But then it was coconut oil and now it's, um, I rarely add fat to my meals. I kind of just get it naturally. Olive oil is the only, uh, I love olive oil. I love the taste of it. Love the Mediterranean kind of profile of the taste of food. I put olive oil on lots of stuff and love it. But, you know, olive oil is another one that you have to be, you know, I mean, high quality olive oil is uh, both perishable and, and also expensive. Uh, so, you have to, and oils are just like wine. I mean, it's just like every single oil is a completely different profile and imparts different health benefits. The one thing that's interesting about oils, and we consider doing this, there are 11 quantified lab tests for olive oil. You can actually, you can test for the antioxidants, the actual amount of them in olive oil. You can, you can quantify the health benefit of an oil. Uh, it's also speculated on olive oils in the U.S. that 75% of of oils that are labeled olive oil or not even olive oil at all. And so, yeah, so it's, I mean, it was a 60 minutes. It's easy to, easy to um, do a search for this. It was a 60 minute special on uh, olive oil in the United States and the fraud that goes on in it uh, and the lack of any kind of compliance against the same thing in wine. It's actually a little bit worse. Um, so because there's no real regulating agencies on olive oil, there is because of alcohol, some regulation around wine, but not in the disclosure and transparency as we've talked about, but olive oil, it's, you know, according to this expert on 60 minutes said speculated that 75% of olive oils marked olive oil in the United States are not even olive oil at all. So they're, they're, uh, they've been modified to taste something like olive oil. So that's just an, if you eat a lot of fat, you eat a lot of olive oil or you eat it at all. It's also perishable. You don't want to eat olive oil more than about 18 months post harvest. And all quality olive oils have the harvest date printed on the label, right? So if you're an olive oil aficionado or you're interested in eating olive oil for the imparted health benefits um, or you like the taste of it, you should be sure that you're buying olive oil with a harvest date on it because that is one of the signs of a high-quality oil. So many sneaky things going on. It's out there, girl. They're trying to get you. I know. It's shocking. Uh, it's about well, money. I know. It's all about the money. And, you know, and, and that's, that's just where the world has come to and, you know, so many, many things which – you know, we're living in this, uh, I don't know if we talked about it in the last podcast, but I'm a super, super huge promoter of meditation. And in fact, at my company, we spend the first hour of every day together meditating. And it's a central part of our culture. And we are leaders in trying to rise, trying to raise the consciousness level of humans through meditation because you know, what's happening is this money thing is that we're so, you know, we're in so much pain from the trauma of thinking uh, that, you know, that we have turned to money as, as one of the ways. And we've turned to many other things, television, porn, alcohol, drugs. We've, but we've turned to money uh, as, as a way to, 
to soften that pain as a way to use it to create other experiences that dilute the pain from the trauma of thinking when we could just meditate. So this whole culture of just money, 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 everything's money, money, money. And it's all around social. And, you know, it's just like this perceived lifestyle that people have around money and it's just so poisonous. Right. But it really pervasively affects everything in our society and particularly what we're eating and drinking. Right. And making it unhealthy. And, you know, and also in our health care, it's just everywhere. It's just about money, money, money. So if you're not meditating, I really suggest that you get some quiet time. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's becoming more and more my increasing focus is meditation, the mindset. Actually, when when I ask you the last question before we go, you'll you'll see how much it's been influencing me. But that's wonderful to hear. I love that you have that going in your business. Man, if every business did a practice like that. I mean, that could be, that could change the world. (laughs) It really could. Yeah, absolutely would. The problem is, you know, people, so we don't meet until 10 o'clock and from 10 to 11 o'clock every day, my staff of 27 people meditate, right? For an hour and some other gratitude practices. And, but it's an hour, hour and 15 minute practice. So we don't actually start creating we don't start adding value to the world until about 11.15 or 11.30 in the morning. And most businesses would never do that. They would say, oh, it's way too expensive. We need these people working. Well, what I'd tell you is that we then close between five and six in the afternoon. So we're really only open about six or six and a half hours a day to create, right? And we don't like to think of what we do as work. We think of it as creating value. So we start creating around 11.15 or 11.30 in the morning. Um, and the reason I, as you know, I was a few minutes late to start recording this podcast. And the reason being is my staff had not sent me the contact information for me to dial into you. And they were in meditation, right? <laughs> Until about 10 after 11 when I dialed in, cause that's, I'm down at the beach, I'm in Santa Monica and they're all up in Napa. So I didn't have any way to contact anybody. Right. And so, but so, so companies would say, oh, well, you know, we got to have all that time for productivity to get people working. It's just like, mm, you know what? When they start the day at Dry Farm Wines, they're starting in a moment of peace and they're starting in a very high, high tone of a high vibration of creation. Right. And so they're going to actually get more done in the same six hours that you were running people eight or nine. They'll, they'll get the same amount done or more. Right. It's just it won't it would just be with a with a peaceful mind, right? And an open heart filled with love. And that's going to translate in every way possible in the vibration level in which we create. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense completely. I am so on board. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right. I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands. And it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, 
and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at melanieavalonscloset.com. That's melanieavalonscloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's melanieavalonscloset.com. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. 
So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, It was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an near-infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near-infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. I'm going to circle back around to it for the last question. Nice. Before that, I wanted to ask you a few really quick questions because I've been reaching out to listeners and readers. 
just in my general audience because I said I was having you on. So I had a few quick questions for you about dry farm wine specifically. So a lot of listeners and readers wanted to know about, about your availability beyond the U.S. Do you ship to other countries? We will begin shipping to Canada sometime later this year, some of the next few months, but uh, we do not presently, we're, we're considering open, opening Europe because the wines are already there. We're about to uh, open an office in Amsterdam. And so we're considering opening, um, we run an import company because we, we bring these wines, normally a natural wine retailer, which is what we would technically be considered, although we're an online wine club, but, but under the category, we're really a natural wine retailer. Most retailers get their wines from importers. Uh, we import our own wine because of the volume that we buy. And um, so we have operations in Europe now. We don't have retail operations, meaning we don't sell wine online in Europe yet, but we are opening an office in Amsterdam. And so it's very likely that sometime that later this year or next year, we'll probably start shipping wine in Europe. Okay, so there's potential for the future with that. That's fantastic. Um, another reader slash listener wanted to know, for those who did not have access due to their location, if you would ever consider creating a list of approved wines or a list of the wines that you do export. She's, her quote was, quote, I would pay for a curated monthly list. Do you, do you create anything like that? We don't. There, there's the, the thing is, because we're an importer, and these wines are made in very small quantities. First of all, we're the largest natural wine buyer in the world, and we buy most of the U.S. inventory. But oftentimes, these wines are made specifically to our specifications for us now, and they're under, yeah, they're, well, yeah, so because of our size, I mean, we, because of our size, there are quite a few farms around the world now that make wines targeted specifically for us. So would, would those be, I've noticed sometimes in the wine shipments now, like the actual label has dry farm wines on the label. Are, are those ones that are? Those, that, that, those are the wines I'm talking okay, about. So gotcha. those wines are made specifically for us by that wine grower. And why they're made specifically for us is because, as I mentioned earlier, we have much more stringent and specific purity and health standards than than even just natural wines. So we're way beyond natural. So there are you know, many natural winemakers who make natural wines, but they don't fit our criteria. They contain some sugar or they're too high in alcohol um, or they... Um, could be could be irrigated. Not all natural wines are irrigation free. Ours are. So th- so there's um, so we have these standards of purity and health. M- most commonly, it's the alcohol or sugar, right? That's the most common two offenders because wine growers don't understand these hippie like activist wine growers. They don't understand. I mean, it took us a while to help them understand why we don't buy alcohol over twelve and a half percent. Even in natural winemaking, it's quite common to have higher alcohol. And so, but because of the volume that we buy, and also we pay farmers more than importers do, and we pay them faster. So because we've removed 
these middle people between the grower and the drinker, it only is us, right? Normally there's two, normally it could be from one to three other people taking a cut of the, of the proceeds between the grower and the drinker could be as high as four. It's usually two or three. We've removed those people from the financial equation. So we are the only conduit between the grower and the drinker. And the reason that's important is because we can pay the grower more for the wine, right? Because there's fewer people in the transaction. We can pay them more for it and still sell it at a competitive price to the drinker. And so that allows us, and one of the things we're most proud about the work that we do is it allows us to, um, it, it allows us to pay fair trade pricing to the growers, to these small family farms who literally struggle, right? We can pay them more and we can pay them faster, right? So because an importer, and I'm going to go back to why this is relevant to why we can't publish a list, is so an importer buys a wine and then the importer sells it in two to five case drops at restaurants and retail, Right. Well, then the importer's got to collect from the restaurant and restaurants are slow to pay. And then the importer can't pay their bills to the grower. So so everything just gets slowed up and the the family farm is on the losing end of that stick. Right. Where we pay for wine when we pick it up in Europe. Right. There's no terms. And so they get paid faster and they get paid more. But here's when we do that. Very often, very often, the 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 wine grower produces a specific label that can only be distributed through us, right? So the label's not available to retail. So even if that grower did sell other wines in the U.S., it would be under a different label. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense completely. Yeah, and so that's, that's you know, it's not always the case, but very often... Um, and certainly when you see our logo on the back of it, that's a custom label for us. That wine was made specifically for us to our criteria for the reasons that I just described to you why they want to do that, because we pay them more and faster, right? And um, and we're also super loving and friendly and easy to deal with, right? And we, we compete. So we, I, we compete. Our primary competitors, so we have to compete for the purchase of these wines. And we're not really competing against importers in the U.S. Our primary competitors are actually in Tokyo, right? And so the Japanese drink a lot of natural wine. It's very buzzy in Tokyo for natural wines, just like it is in New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles. Very, very buzzy. You know, all the hipsters are into it. It's like super chic to drink natural wines. And so that, you know, so we have to compete uh, in a global marketplace primarily with these two importers in Tokyo, we had to compete to get these wines. One of my favorite things about dry farm wines, I love how with the, the shipment, you do get this just, you know, random assortment of wines that it it's wonderful because I get to try all these new varietals that I wouldn't necessarily try. I mean, it kind of like breaks you out of your, what you may be accustomed to. So I love, I love the variety and trying the new wines and it's just absolutely fantastic. It is a lot of fun because these are, you know, you're drinking uh, grapes like Schiava or uh, Pinot Dunis or uh, Plusard or Trousseau, or these are all these, these, um, 
native ancestral grapes that are quite rare that you would never see in the U.S., right? They're, they're, they're grown in very obscure places across Europe. And the, they're these ancestral vines that are, you know, average age 65 years, but some over 100 years old, these vines. And so it's, you know, the, the problem, what happens in the United States is that grapevines are replanted about every 14 years on average, because once a grapevine gets to be 15 or 16, 17 years old, the, the yield decreases substantially. And so, but what Europeans know, what we believe is that older vines produce a better character of fruit that has more soul and interest. And so that's you. So natural vines are usually on average, our average age is about 65 years. But um, so these are oftentimes usually also multi-generational landowners who've been farming for, for multi-generations. So that's, you know, but grapevines in the U.S. are replanted about every 14 years on average because of the significant decrease in yield as a vine as a vine ages. And they're just more difficult to, to maintain. So they're not as sturdy, not as hardy uh, in that way. So, um, yeah, but that's that's no, we, we don't produce a list. And uh, and one thing we are coming up with and this, you'll appreciate this being being uh, drinking our wines. We are soon to release an app that will allow you to take a photograph of the label from us. And then it will tell you all about the wine pairing suggestions, what it tastes like, recipe ideas, profile of the farm, profile of the vintage, notes from the farmer, so on and so forth. So you'll know a lot more about the wine before you open it up. Oh, I love that. That's exciting. Yeah, because when I get my shipment, I get really excited, especially if, like I said, if there's a varietal I don't recognize. And then I go and I pull up all the notes and I do my little tasting. And oh, so that'll be great to have that app. I love that. One more quick question, and it's like a com- sort of completely different topic, so we don't have to go into too much detail, but besides wine, does other alcohol and liquors um, have things added potentially that are not on the label? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, they're not, they're, I'm, I'm not an expert, I'm not an expert in spirits, but if, if people, um, but, you know, some brown liquors do, can, obviously, there are many spirits that have been, sweetened they contain sugar they're you know there's many many varieties of spirits with high levels of sugar in it there are many late many types of wine with high level high levels of sugar in it but i'm not a spirits expert i, I think the the prevailing kind of thought in the forward-looking health movement from the people that i respect and follow most of them are you know, recommend if you're going to drink spirits to drink tequila and, um, and there are, are certainly many fine tequilas out there. I don't drink spirits and I don't recommend that other people drink them because of my aversion to alcohol. And so I, alcohol is dangerous and, and it is a pretty, it's, it's a pretty destructive neurotoxin. And so I don't, low alcohol wines are just my beverage of choice for alcohol. The difference is that while I'm drinking a 10% wine, spirits are 45% alcohol. And again, because I believe alcohol is destructive and dangerous, I don't want to drink alcohol in higher doses. So I don't drink spirits. That's my argument against spirits is it's not the additives. 
alone. It's also just high in alcohol. So basically, we have among commercially available among commercially available choices for alcohol, we have three. Well, there are four, you know, primary choices. So there's beer, and I don't drink beer for a whole host of reasons, but the primary reason is because it contains a very specific type of sugar called maltose sugar, which goes directly to the liver and converts to fat. It's a very specific um, um, meta- this very specific metabolic process with this type of sugar. So not all sugars are equal. They're processed differently by the body, but this particular sugar goes directly to the liver and converts to fat. That's the reason you see people have a beer gut. It's related to this specific type of sugar. And so I don't drink beer for that reason. It has. It also contains gluten, but there are gluten-free beers, but they're still high in the sugar. So I don't drink beer at all for that reason. The second beverage that's available are ciders. Ciders are also high in sugar. There are some ciders that are sugar-free. We have tested them and tasted them, but when a cider is sugar-free, the austerity of taste is off-putting in our opinion, So, which is the only reason we don't sell them. Is because we don't think they taste good. We do like the taste of cider with sugar in it. It's pretty tasty, but it's also low alcohol. But ciders that taste good, in our opinion, contain sugar. And then there's low alcohol wine, and then there's spirits. And so of all those choices, I prefer, for all the reasons I've already discussed, to drink um, a low alcohol natural wine. Well, you and me both. <laughs> I have, I just love everything that you're doing with the with dry farm wines and everything. So I will circle back now to that last question, which I said was sort of relevant. So the question that I'm ending every episode of this podcast with is because I've realized how important mindset and meditation and gratitude and everything is. What is something that you are grateful for? Oh, girl, I I'm, I spend most of my day. In active gratitude. Um, so, you know, I meditated on the beach this morning next to the ocean, which is my favorite place to meditate. And, you know, I just think every day how grateful I am to live this extraordinarily privileged life. My philanthropic interest is is the homeless. So I'm involved in a bunch of programs, and we are involved in just starting a foundation to, to support uh, healthier living for people who are homeless. And so I'm just, you know, I'm really super grateful to live this amazingly privileged life that allows me to be, you know, under the roof of my beach home. Not, you know, I mean, it's like an extraordinary uh, privileged life of, of being safe and secure and having friends like you and being surrounded with people who love me and being healthy and, and being intentional grateful to live an intentional life, to live with intention and purpose, and just grateful to have a quiet, healthy mind. You know, just there's so much. Just if I find my mind drifting into anything that's unhealthy, like anxiety or stress of any kind, I just find an object of beauty, usually something outside, and just focus on how grateful I am to experience that moment of just a beautiful thing, right? It's usually something that's living. So I just, I spend my day thinking about 
being grounded in gratitude and never forgetting how incredible it is to live this beautiful, fragile life that I have every day that keeps me safe and surrounded with love and, and prosperity and peace. Peace is the most important thing. I think when we find a peaceful life, that that's really, truly something to be grateful for. That is so wonderful to hear. I could not agree more. I mean, I've just realized more and more recently, and I've been doing research on like the science of it, but how literally, you know, the mindset of gratitude and peace and love can, it can reverse the the fear and the stress and the anxiety that like what that does to our bodies. We can actually reverse that with peace and love and gratitude. And it's impossible for us to be both, you know, afraid and grateful at the exact same moment. Impossible light cures darkness. You can't be grateful and fearful at the same time. They cannot coexist. Right. And look, here's the thing. We are wired, right? We, we have this fundamental need to love and be loved. And everything we do is support is in some way in support of that need to love or be loved. Right? Everything we do is related to that. All of our motivations and emotions are related to these two intrinsic needs. And so if we can find a way, and wine is one of those ways that brings more love into your life, if we can find a way to increase love in our life, this is something that we focus on or should focus on, is to be grateful and to increase our exposure to receiving and giving love. And this is particularly difficult for men because they're wearing this silly mask of masculinity that they need to rip off that was given to them as a child that told them they needed to be tough and they needed to be, you know, strong and they needed to be show power, right? That's the mask of masculinity that, that, adversely affects most men. And so they're, they're all little boys caught up in behind this mask. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so that's, and every listener knows what I'm talking about too. So those little boys that are behind those masks, they need to rip that off and, and be real, right? And be seen. We all want to be seen. We all want to be loved. We all just want to be seen, Right. And so this is the people I try to surround myself. And this is the lessons that we teach our people at Dry Farm Wines. And we talk about these, not talk about these topics. You know, I've done podcasts dedicated to these topics before. So it's like we just want to be seen. We want to be loved. We figured that out and everything, the rest of it, take care of itself, you know? Yeah, I love hearing you say that so much. I've I've even actually wondered if what percent of the health benefits of wine might even be in part just because of the mindset and the environment that is often created and especially in these societies that drink wine as a part of their culture with their meals, just, you know, creating that sense of gratitude and everything. It's so nourishing to the body and healing. Well, wine does. I mean, this is the magic of wine and particularly natural wine, which is still living, hasn't been sterilized with sulfur dioxide and had its soul and healthy bacteria killed off. And we didn't even talk about that. We're not going to go back down that wormhole, but wine really opens the heart. Wine makes us more emotionally available. And when we're more emotionally available, we can be seen. And that's why we bond with people over dinner and wine. And so there are all these cofactors that you just mentioned that 
may be imparting as much of the health benefit just by being emotionally available and open and loving and our heart opens up and we can be seen. And that's when we really feel healthy, right? So that could be as much to do with it as, you know, as the polyphenols. We don't really know. I think it's a great point. I would not doubt it. Well, speaking of, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for everything you're doing with your company. I am so grateful for Dry Farm Wines. Every time I open a bottle or get a shipment, I'm just like, thank you (laughs) that I have access to this clean, healthy wine that I find delicious, nourishing, supportive. And I love everything that you're doing with your business practices, with your company. So I just, I cannot thank you enough. Well, let me offer your listeners a penny bottle of wine, right? So if they go to this URL, they're going to they're gonna find this offer. They can get a penny bottle. We can't legally give it away for free, but they can get a penny bottle with their order. And they're going to find a page there for a penny bottle of wine. So for our listeners, that link will be dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. And then you will get that bottle for a penny. So that is fant- fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And listeners cannot encourage you enough to check that out. And you will most likely become a Dry Farm Wines convert <laughs> like I am. It's so funny. People reach out to me, other wine companies <laughs> reach out to me quite often and they'll, you know, send, want to send me samples and they'll want to, you know, engage with me. And I'm really open to it. And I love like the opportunity and everything, but I'm like, ah, I love my Dry Farm Wines and <laughs> I love everything you're doing. And I'm just so confident in the, pra- the practices and the criteria and the quality that, yeah, I'm a Dry Farm Wines girl for life. Nice. Cannot encourage listeners enough to check it out. For listeners, I'll put all of the links to everything in the show notes, and those will be at melanieavalon.com slash dryfarmwines. That'll be the show notes for today's podcast. So all the links, everything will be there. Todd, are there any other links you'd like to mention or any other ways for listeners to either follow you, follow Dry Farm Wines, any other social media? Well, we're trying to find wines on all social media. The most important thing for them to do is meditate, find some quiet silence, and love more every day. Be grateful and just try to love more. Try to, you know, remember that everybody you meet, almost everybody you meet is suffering from some trauma you know nothing about. You know, if we just spread more love and less judgment and just try to raise our consciousness level. I think this is our greatest contribution to a better planet and a better experience with your own life and the life of everybody around you. Well, thank you. If I had a glass of wine right now, I'd raise it to you. But tonight, I will <laughs> I will raise a glass to that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I don't drink near the daytime. <laughs> thank you, Todd. This was wonderful. Have a wonderful day. Awesome. Thanks for having me on today, and I'll look forward to catching up again. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.